The Standard Deviations podcast is a weekly production that looks at money, mind, and meaning, all through a psychological lens. Each week, psychologist and New York Times bestselling author Dr. Daniel Crosby interviews a fascinating new guest, experts in everything from finance to literature to wellness. Support for Standard Deviations comes from The Guardian Network. No matter what you're planning for, saving to buy your first house, or becoming an encore entrepreneur in retirement, you're more likely to achieve your goals when you have a financial professional by your side. The Guardian Network community of financial professionals are dedicated to helping you achieve your financial goals. An important first step is improving your financial and emotional confidence. To get started, visit livingconfidently.com forward slash get started. Hello and welcome to the Standard Deviations podcast. I am your host, Dr. Daniel Crosby. I'm joined today by Joe Fitzgerald, who is a graduate of Ramapo College and a retirement income certified professional uh, with over a decade of experience. Joe, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Look forward to it. Absolutely. So, Joe, I I begin by asking every guest uh, to tell us something about them that's not on the professional bio. So what's something that'll humanize you a bit to our listeners? Well, Dr. Crosby, something that's not in my bio uh, which I would like to express gratitude for is how lucky I've been to have some tremendous mentors in my life. At a really early point in my career, I was blessed to learn from some of the best brains in the industry. They taught me very unique strategies, which have allowed me to help my clients and achieve levels of success in my career. Non-business related, I love to travel and experience new cultures. Now tell me, what's the, what's the favorite place you've ever traveled? Who my two top actually, you know, between uh, recently I went to the 2016 Olympics in Brazil. That was an amazing trip. Oh, amazing! And uh, a pretty special trip as well. A good friend of mine got married in Indonesia, so I got to experience a very unique trip out there, and uh, that was, you know, really a special event. Oh, that sounds like it. Seeing. Uh, seeing those pictures of, of Rio during the Olympics were gorgeous. You've got the you've got the water and the mountains and the jungle. I mean everything. So so beautiful. So very cool that you got to do that. Uh, so we're going to talk today about savings. And you know, speaking of, of international experiences, a recent study came out that caught my eye that talked about uh, different countries and their savings rates. And I was sad to see that the United States was in 16th place of the 28 countries uh, in the study in terms of personal savings rate. So our, uh, the U.S. personal savings rate was 3%. Uh, the best was France at nearly 16%. And the worst was actually Denmark, which surprised me. Denmark actually had a slightly negative savings rate. So I've heard conflicting advice. It's usually between, between 10 and 20%. What percentage of income do you recommend that your clients set aside? Those statistics are always painful every time I hear them. And uh, it's, it's crazy, the small amount of money many people are saving. And it's, uh, very, it's such an important topic to bring up. I recommend a minimum of 15% with really 20% or more being optimal. Well, it's, it's incredible to think about because if you think that the average American makes, uh, you know, in the ballpark of $50,000, if you're saving 3% of that um, for, for a 30-year uh, time horizon, 
just it just doesn't add up very fast. I get I really, really do lose sleep over this. And I know that it's hard. I'm not trying to be insensitive or or, or blame victims here, but it's very, very tough to set aside money. Uh, but I worry about what's going to happen to us if we can't do a little bit better than 3%. So if you think about this with this in mind, when you think about your clients who are the best savers, what are some of the hallmarks that you observe in them? What are some behaviors in them that we can, can copy? It's a great question. And having worked with hundreds of clients and, and seeing habits of clients before they work with me and after working with me, the ones who save the best, they always have an automatic, automated savings plan. So, you know, traditional kind of living is spend first and try to save what's left. And when I see a client living that way, you know, their paycheck comes in, they have taxes, they have their rent or mortgage payment, they have car payments, they have credit card debts, maybe student loans, spending on food, going out with family, friends, vacations. And it can be very difficult to then say, I'm going to save whatever's left over. In order to succeed in those who have success, I find that there's an automatic savings plan where they kind of change the thought process. And as simple as it may sound, they pay themselves first. Right off the top, they save money first, and then they spend whatever's left. That way, there's almost an automatic bill before paying You know, the mortgage company and the institutions. You're paying yourself, and you're paying yourself for your future. You know, there's a there's a strong behavioral component to this, and it's a it's a simple thing, but it's genius. Uh, what Richard Thaler did, and he actually won a Nobel Prize for some of his work around this, was the very thing that you're talking about: automating automating savings, but then automating the escalation of savings over time, so that when you get a raise, you you know you're you're saving more and more of your income over time. You're not allowing that that lifestyle creep to come in. And it's incredible what he did because we as a human species are subject to what's called status quo bias, which is, you know, we make a decision and we tend to stick with it. We tend to, to be scared of change. But what Thaler did is he took this and flipped it on its head and said, look, I can take people's tendency toward automaticity and, and laziness. And if we can get them to start saving, they'll be lazy about that too, right? Like they'll be they'll be lazy about <laughs> saving, uh, and so it, it's sort of a it's sort of a cool trick where you know the same status quo bias that keeps us from going to the gym uh, can can make you rich if you just never see it. And you know, for me, having gone from being self employed and you know for the last decade to now working for a company where I have 401k and HSA and other savings taken out automatically, it's pretty great, you know, because I used to have to cut a check and now it's just, it's just gone. I never see it. Absolutely. So one of the toughest things psychologically about saving, when we look at the psychology of saving, it's very much viewed as a loss, uh, which is wild because if you think about it, you know, it's almost certainly going to be a gain in, in relative terms when you tap into it. If you're setting aside money today, you're investing it in a sound way, it's almost always going to be worth more 30 years from now when you tap it for your retirement uh, than it is today. And yet, all of the studies of the brain, all of the studies of psychology show that people perceive savings as a loss. 
So what do you do? Are there any tricks of the trade to try and get your clients uh, excited about this and view it as the gain that it truly is and not as so much of a psychological loss? Yes, definitely. That's that's a key component. And I think that's the biggest challenge. And um, almost like everything in life that's rewarding, there's some sort of sacrifice. Uh, you know, you mentioned the gym before. At the time, it's painful to get there and you may not see results right away. But over time, you have better health, you look better, you feel better. And that's the same when it comes to saving. So a lot of times when I sit down with a client for the first time, I show them uh, something that I refer to as a wealth building potential, which kind of outlays how much income over time uh, they are going to generate based off, you know, predictions and kind of showing them the difference of, hey, if you start saving today versus even if you just start saving five years from now, how much of a difference it makes due to compounding of interest and due to, you know, the loss if you are to procrastinate. And really the difference, too, of even just saving from 5% or 10%. And I think it's developing an awareness and an understanding of how important it is to save one from the pain, if you don't do it, of what life will look like 10, 20, 30, 40 years down the road. And two, the opportunity it creates if you do do it and how much wealth that will be will be created due to compounding of interest if you put your money into good places and you have the disciplined automated savings. And I think those visual examples, sometimes clients kind of have an aha moment where it's like, whoa, I can really have millions of dollars of wealth if I just start saving now. It's absolutely possible and not any sort of get rich quick scheme or, you know, just counting on uh, hopes or, you know, uh, you know, kind of outside events to occur, but just through disciplined habits, you it's absolutely doable and possible. So I think that awareness is very important. I, I liked what you said about using visuals, and it, it reminds me of the Stephen Covey quote that I'm going to mess up. But basically, Stephen Covey says, you know, you've got to have a yes that's bigger than all of the no's, right? There's a million reasons to not save because any money you save today is, is money you have to say no to buying something fun that you can consume right now. And it's only by having that bigger yes that's burning inside of us, this visual, this thing that we're looking forward to, uh, that we're able to begin to say no to things today. And so I know that that's really helped me personally, you know, to, to talk with my wife about the things that we're excited about in the future and the, the ways that uh, the money we're saving today will fund, you know, adventures in the future, getting to see the world. And I think that we as an industry are guilty of sort of shaming people a lot of times. We'll say, look, you know, ah, oh, we're not saving enough. You're going to eat, you know, cat food has become, this <laughs> you're gonna, you're gonna, it's always cat food. You're going to eat cat food in retirement and all of the best literature on, uh, on persuasion says that you need both sides of the equation. Yeah. You need to scare people straight a little bit. You need to tell yep. them about the cat food. Uh, but, but interestingly, you've also got to, uh, to, to tell them to have this vision. Um, you know, I, I liken it to a, an example I shared in, in my last book, well, two books ago, The Laws of Wealth. I talked about the spread of disease in Thailand. There was disease spreading through Thailand, and the government put these big, scary posters up that said, you know, the dreaded plague is coming, and, you know, be, be very afraid and run and hide. 
And they found that the spread of disease only increased when they used these scare tactics. It wasn't, you know, people were scared, but they didn't know what to do. It's only when they told them how to prevent it and what concrete steps they could take uh, that, that people began to get better. So with, with this in mind, we're having this conversation at the beginning of the year, uh, a time when people with the best intentions make resolutions that research shows only 7% of us will keep. Okay. So I just got back from the gym. I don't know about the rest of you. <laughs> I'm, I'm, hanging tough. I'm hanging tough on January 31st, but we know that 93% of us and, you know, likely me will set goals for this year that we don't meet. You know, so this is what psychologists refer to as the knowing doing gap. Other day, I drove by a hospital, uh, and of course, it's no smoking in the hospital. And I saw 13 people standing across the street in scrubs, 13 medical professionals standing across the street smoking, right? Now, they, they know not to do this, and yet there they are sitting across the street smoking. So for those of us who are listening, so for, for those who are listening, they know they should be saving, but they're currently not. What is one tiny step that they can take today to begin to bridge that gap? Well, first, I'm impressed that you made it to the gym today with the freezing weather. I know you filled me in that it's only 20 degrees in Georgia. So that's, uh, you know, awesome there with your discipline. But uh, I think you hit the nail on the head, uh, you know, to kind of backtrack the importance of, of viewing the 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 pleasure and the gain from saving and getting that in your mind. So um, whether it's the opportunity of, Hey, if I save, I can go on that dream vacation or I can pay off my mortgage early, or I can retire young. And I find a lot of clients, all they know is their 401k and 401ks are great vehicles, but a lot of time people, time clients get held up of, Hey, I can't access this money until I'm 59 and a half. And that can be a long time away for many people. And, I think understanding the goals that, uh, you know, someone has and, and the dreams and things that they would like to achieve and then realizing to get there, you need to save some money. Uh, and, and that's a, uh, you know, the kind of the first step. And then it's not all about, hey, I'm just going to put money away. I'm going to live frugal my entire life and never touch it. It's no, the saving money will help you enjoy life better, whether it's creating investment opportunities, you know, myself due to saving money, I've been able to purchase investment real estate, and that allows me to have more cash flow. So, uh, and that's something clients sometimes are interested in of, of really more entrepreneurial ideas, especially I see that a lot with millennials. It's the interest in having money to, you know, ultimately utilize it. But one step is, it, it really starts with the mental side of it, of understanding the why and having that strong why, like you mentioned before. And then putting a plan in place, just getting started. And it also back to that automatic savings. If you create a kind of long-term financial account, long midterm account, and every month just have an automated amount go right into that account, that's the best place to start. And start with something. If it's not 15 or 20% yet, start with three or 5% and make a goal to increase every single year. Yeah, I think that's a great, great piece of advice because I know that oftentimes people let uh, perfect be the enemy of good. And they, they say, well, you know, I know I'm supposed to save 10 or 20%. I can only save 3 or 5%. So, you know, why try? And you're exactly right that when, once you flex that muscle a bit, I, I find personally 
uh, that it becomes a bit addictive. You know, I've actually, you know, I, I actually, my, my wife, every time we make a deposit to our savings, my wife goes, you know, thank you. This is my love language. And I, I feel the same way because it becomes uh, quite addictive, but it's hard to get started. Yep. You can liken that to exercise or, or any other good thing that's tough when you get started, but but picks up some steam for sure. Absolutely. Now, Joe, is there such a thing as a as a bad why? So I'll, let me let me characterize this a bit. You know, for me personally, the reason that I'm saving is basically so I can say no to doing things that I don't want to do. This is the thing that kind of gets me out of bed in the morning. <laughs> you know, look, if I've, if I've got enough money and, you know, you want me to, you know, you want me to come do this thing that I don't want to do, I can tell you to, to get lost because I, I'm doing fine on my own. I, and my goal is really to never sit through another conference call in my life. This is the thing that motivates me <laughs> to save but do you see people, you know, I was, I was creating a list of the most common financial goals the other day uh, as part of a tech project I'm working on. And I found a couple that, that were recurring. And one of them was to try and have more money. It was basically keeping up with the Joneses. And I saw this again and again. It was like to have more money than my friends. Uh, is there such a thing as a misguided why or are all whys get you there? Hmm. You know, that's a good question. It's something that I haven't necessarily thought about, but it's something I certainly experience when, when discussing with my clients. So uh, I think there there's no necessarily wrong why, because that's what's going to drive the individual. So if, if I think it's important, though, to be aware of that if your why is going to create a short-term gain, but a long-term loss, that that's truly your why. So I think many times a client may feel or an individual may feel that that's truly what they want. But then when they think about it and say, you know what, do I really want to be 60 and have no money just so I have as big of a house as my neighbor or, you know, as nice of a car, but I might have to work at Walmart when I'm 65 to 90? Or do I really want to have financial freedom with my family? Do I want to be able to help out my children and grandchildren? Do I want to be able to travel and like you said, be able to, uh, you know, say to no, no to things I don't want to do. My why is, you know, financial freedom. That's the vision I have. I want to be able to have enough assets so I ultimately can work because I want to and, and not because I have to. And that's, you know, my dream of what keeps me going and keeps me saving. And um, so I think that uh, there could be uh, sometimes clients don't know their true why. And I think that's through education an understanding of uh, really what truly is important to them. And sometimes they just, they don't even know how to get to, you know, where they want to go. And when they realize what's possible, the why could change. So, uh, you know, I don't think there's a wrong why, but I do think there could be a, a misunderstood why and that it's our duty as advisors to really make sure clients are, are aware of what's possible, what's not possible and what they need to do to accomplish their goals. If that makes sense. It does. I've I've been thinking about a, a third type of risk, and so apologies if this isn't fully fleshed out yet. I'm I'm sort of in the midst of thinking about this, but there's investment risk, right? And we want to measure our clients' risk tolerance, and we want to help them, you know, invest in a way that's consistent with their risk risk profile. There's of course behavioral risk that I'm intimately acquainted with, and this is the 
the likelihood that we're going to do something dumb or, you know, get in our, get in our own way or make mistakes that way. And I'm playing with this idea of, of goal risk, which is basically that, that our goals will be either so misfit or misunderstood uh, that we make poor decisions. And, you know, I'll, I'll use myself as an example. You know, I'll use myself as an example. I've, I've publicly roasted myself on the show, and I'll, I'll do it again here. You know, a, couple of, a couple of years back, we bought a big house. We moved uh, from Alabama, where I, where I grew up, uh, to here in Atlanta, and we bought, we bought a big house in that process. And we bought a big house because, you know, because we could, because I was making good money, and it, you know, it, it fit within the budget, and that was fine. Uh, and I wish, I wish that someone had, had talked me out of it a bit. And I don't, you know, I wish that someone had, had questioned that thinking and said, yep. just because you can't afford it, like, should, should you afford it? Um, because all of the research on, on trying to keep up with the Joneses and, you know, these big sort of flashy purchases, whether it's a car or a house says that we engage in something called hedonic adaptation or the hedonic treadmill, which is basically like, it's a short burst. It's a short burst of dopamine. We, we really love that house for, for a couple of weeks. And then it's just our house, you know, it's just kind of like where, it's just where you live and where you throw your dirty socks. Uh, so what do you do to keep your clients from, from running on this hedonic treadmill so that their their wants ri- don't rise directly with their earning, uh, because I think this is one of the big enemies of saving, is that people tend to make more and more money over time as their careers mature and progress, uh, but you know they tend to eat better food and drive better cars and live in bigger houses. So, what do you do to sort of educate and keep your clients uh, from from falling victim to lifestyle creep? Great question. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges and it's something I see so often. And in today's world, when you really look at it, it's extremely difficult to hold on to our money. I mean, we wake up, we step outside, there's ads on the TV right away. There's ads as we're driving. We have our phone, we can buy something from Amazon right on it. We have new technology coming out constantly. There's product wear and tear, you know, an iPhone's good for one year and then we need a new one, need a new laptop, need all these new things constantly. And like you said, there's also the whole keeping up with the Joneses. Our friends get a nicer car, our friends get a very nice house. And it can be very difficult to step back and and realize that uh, we're overspending and, you know, it's going to uh, cause us to not live the life that uh, creates financial freedom and peace of mind. So to kind of, again, repeat, it's important to be aware of, you know, the decisions we make, what the outcomes are behind it. Like you said, it probably felt really nice to buy that nice home. And I'm sure, you know, it's probably has brought a tremendous amount of pleasure, but it sounds like maybe now uh, the thinking would be, hey, it would be more pleasurable to maybe live in a little bit of a smaller home, but have more financial comfort every month. And um, I think that kind of conversation and helping clients kind of walk down the path of, you know, this decision will create this result versus this decision will create this result. And which one's really more important to you um, from the overall philosophy? Now, in terms of uh, solutions and specific things to utilize, 
back to the uh, pay yourself first and saving as a percentage of income. So if you have that habit of, let's say, saving 10%, 15%, 20% of income, as income rises, that percentage is going to rise as well. And I think it's important to you know, work with clients and say, hey, as you make more money, you deserve to eat better. You deserve to get a nicer house. You deserve to enjoy life. Um, more, but at the same time, you want to save more money so you can ultimately have that money replace you at work one day and, and create a lifelong income for you in retirement. Uh, a prominent blogger, I believe it was Ben Carlson, apologies if I'm citing the wrong person, I, I saw him post something yesterday where he said he was getting ready to, to pay off his student loans. And so yep. I, I forget what the number was, but you know, he had been paying whatever. $500 a month or something over the last few years to, to begin to pay off his student loans. And then uh, those were going to, you know, those were going to be paid off. And so he said, what I'm going to do though, is that instead of having an extra $500 sloshing around in my bank account each month, I'm going to now apply that same $500 uh, to, to a savings account, to a, to a retirement account and still keep saving that same number uh, and just not ever again, not ever think that it's there because if you've started a good financial habit for heaven's sake, don't, un, don't undo it. Right. And mm-hmm. you'll, never, you'll never feel that extra $500, but that $500 in savings uh, over a long enough time horizon is going to add up to, to substantial wealth. Absolutely. Great point. So uh, Joe, uh, I'm a big reader, big writer, of course, uh, and I always like to ask about a book or an idea or a concept that changed your life and made you the the man that you are today. So, uh, you know, I think uh, two books have had a major impact on me, Uh, one being uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I read that a long time ago, and one of the big concepts behind that book is to uh, purchase assets versus liabilities and ultimately those assets can help you then fund liabilities and you know in my own life i've uh, worked to replicate that in the real estate uh, investment world and kind of the idea opposed to hey let's buy a car and then have to work to pay for that car if you can have an asset pay for it for you that's a much more efficient way uh, and it's something that kind of relates to the financial uh, planning ideas uh, in terms of uh, you know, personal uh, uh, books outside of that, The Slight Edge by Jeff Olson. It's a tremendous book. I don't know if you've ever read it, but it's all about how the small choices we make every day, compounded over time, create our results, kind of relating to everything we've just discussed. And in that book, he actually gets into compounding of interest and saving and, you know, the small decisions every day, health, education, career, and, you know, how all the things we do on a daily basis ultimately create where we wake up 10, 15 years down the road and how a lot of times I think we see success and it just looks like, Hey, that's the, that's the, all there is the success, but we don't see the 10, 20, 30 years of decisions that led to that result. And that book just does a great job of really helping. At least it helped me really see that and understand that. Yeah. I think it's one of the things I didn't appreciate until I got into this business was the way that incremental change can have such a, a snowball effect over time. You know, you, you see people who've come so far and 
it's really just because of a couple of consistently small changes they've made. And I, it's interesting. I get asked very frequently. I've written um, three books in the last four, four years. And people will go, you know, how do you write a book every year? And I say, you know, one page per day. That's it. Like I just, you know, I write, you got 365 days in a year, a good book's 200 to 250 pages long. I write one day, like every day I'm at work, I write one page. And if you can do that and you can be consistent with it, uh, you can, you can put some really cool stuff out into the world. So I have not read the slide edge, but I'm absolutely on board with the philosophy and will be adding it to my list. Awesome. So as I begin, as we begin to wrap up, one of the things I always want to leave people with is a couple of actionable steps that listeners can take based on the, the ideas you've shared today. So I've, I'm going to try and paraphrase a few and you can, you can help me out if I've missed anything. You okay. know, one of the things that I would say is this idea of the slight edge, that wherever you are today, take that first step. If you can't save that 15 or 20%, save that one to 3% and try and work up to a larger number over time. We talked a lot about automation, right? The, the need to kind of set it and forget it and to pay yourself uh, first. And we've talked a lot about the why and having that vivid yes that can overcome the no, the pain of saving in the here and now. Is there anything else that you would say uh, can help people embark on a lifetime of, uh, of saving and compounding wealth? Uh, I would say sit down and, and really write out your financial goals without without restriction. You know, what do you really want to accomplish? Is it a vacation home? Is it retiring early? Whatever it may be. And then, you know, take a look and say, am I doing the things that will get me there? If not, you know, see if you can come up with some strategies on your own or go meet with a financial advisor and, and put them to the test and see if they can help you, you know, achieve that. I think the, the key there, my favorite word is the unrestricted part. I have a buddy who was actually a guest on the podcast earlier, and he talks about the ways in which sort of adulthood has, has killed our childhood dreams in many respects and how we can yep. take that back. And so I like the idea of, of uh, sort of unrestricted dreaming. Sit down and map out your best life. Create the life you want to live. Uh, map it out and then set in place a, a framework of financial behaviors that'll get you there. I think that's the way to go. So Joe, if people are interested in the things you've shared today, they want to get in touch with you or ask a question or connect with you, uh, where can people find you? Uh, two best ways. I, I actually uh, am currently on uh, working on a personal website, which will be up and running soon. But for now, they can uh, check out my firm's website, uh, www.nepcusa.com. You can search for Joe Fitzgerald, or you can call me right at the office, 908-709-0020. And again, ask for Joe Fitzgerald. Joe, you've been wonderful. Thank you so much for your time today. Uh, it's been great. Thank you for having me. opinions expressed by Dr. Daniel Crosby and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, and its affiliates, subsidiaries, employees, and agents. 
This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for legal, tax, and investment decisions. The opinions are based upon information participants consider reliable, and Dr. Crosby and Guardian are not responsible for the consequences of any decisions or actions taken because of the information provided. Guardian Trademark and the Guardian G trademark logo are registered service marks and are used with express permission. All materials are subject to United States copyright laws. Copyright 2018 Guardian. Joe is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS, OSJ 1150 Raritan Road, Suite 201, Cranford, New Jersey, 07016-980-709-0020. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS, member FINRA SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, copyright Guardian. New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Northeast Planning Corporation is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by PAS, Guardian, or Northeast Planning Corporation, and opinions stated are their own. California Insurance License Number 0H01236-2021-0021. Expiration 04-23.